0: tonight, and we give you a warm welcome to Puckett Christian Centre. It's good to see some of the uh, um, familiar faces, I was avoiding the word old, but more familiar faces coming back to be with us again, so that's great. We miss you while you're away, and it's good to have you back with us. We'll have a few more people coming back in the next couple of weeks, so we should fill out again. People have been on their travels around the world and they're coming back to a place to get nourished and fed, Mm -hmm. I hope. (coughs) Praise the Lord. Welcome to the microphone. Okay, so we're alright for the CD now. There you go. Um, We're continuing our study that we started last week. It's going to be... uh, a few weeks running a series on the five paradigms for nation transformation that uh, we heard about when we went to Argentina and uh, we're going to examine them biblically and see whether they're something that we really should be following or not Um, and uh, hopefully you'll agree with me that they're very good things which we should be engaged in as a church and uh, so I value any feedback any comment Um, I really think we're moving into an exciting time in the church we're going to see some great things happen so we're looking at has anybody loaded my um Overhead on now. Right, okay, where we go? Where are we? Okay, so we're looking at paradigm number one, and it's part two. So I'll just have a very brief recap of what we looked at last week. Last week we started the first. It's gone again. Hallelujah. Technical hitches. We started looking at the first paradigm, which is we are called to disciple nations, not just individuals. And uh, there we go. should be coming up now. All right. And we looked at the biblical basis for this principle and saw how from the time of the fall of man, that God's people have been at odds with Satan over the rule of nations. We saw how Isaiah calls Satan the destroyer of nations. And how he manipulated Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and as we read from uh, the book of Ezekiel, how he manipulated the king of Tyre to cause nations to fall under his power and influence. We saw how very few of us have ever really come into any kind of contact personally with Satan himself. Uh, And the reason for that is that Satan is focused on nations. He's focused on the leaders of nations, and um, uh, as I said, I've only ever met one person who actually ever claimed to see Satan, actually met personally, uh, and that was uh, a guy by the name of Billy Graham. Uh, I'm sure many of you will know. Uh, probably the person who's preached to more people than anyone else alive, and uh, he once uh, uh, said to me in a meeting, "I was he wasn't one to one. I was about 120." Ministers in a room, and he was addressing us before uh, he did his uh, uh, crusade in Mission England at Villa Park, and he was talking to us about uh, different uh, uh, aspects of his walk with God, and one of the things he said that he was tempted by the devil, uh, by Satan himself who appeared to him. and uh, I don't know of anyone else who've actually seen the devil. You might have had experiences with evil spirits, but you've not seen the devil. Because he focuses his attention on kings and rulers uh, of nations. And um, that's why when we read Isaiah, we see that behind the evil that Nebuchadnezzar did, there was Satan. And behind the evil that uh, the II did, the king of Tyre, was Satan. And so... Um, it's important for us to understand that Satan is targeting nations and so in the same way God wants the church to see nations transformed by his power. Now we also saw that uh, in Ezekiel where the verse there was a verse that told us about the fact that God would actually even raise up nations to be empowered to make a stand against Satan. And how are they going to do that unless it's through the church? So, praise God, that was last week. Now, one or two questions were, have been asked me this week about some of the things I said last week. And so I want to address those a little bit. Now, if Satan was in such an honored position before God, if he was created and he stood on the holy mountain of God in God's presence and he was given such authority that he commanded uh, many of the other angels in heaven, why on earth would he want to throw it all away by rebelling against God? Why did he do that? This is one of the most difficult questions to answer, simply because we tend to personify Satan. We tend to make him into a human, and we tend to think that he does and acts the way we do. But of course he's not a human being he's an angel, and so you can't you've got to stop thinking of Satan in human terms because he isn't human he's not he's, he's as much human as our dog is now that's an incredible thing to say, but it's true okay, maybe he's a lot cleverer than our dog well, he is yeah but He's not human. He is not human. And we try to understand what Satan did in human terms. Now, if you really love God, and you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, and you have a loving relationship with Him, and you know His presence with you every moment of every day, I want to tell you that there, you cannot understand how Satan could do what he did. You can't. You never will. It is impossible for you to understand it. Especially when we understand that in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, we see that Ezekiel describes Satan as the perfection of wisdom and beauty. The perfection of wisdom and beauty. There was no flaw in him. He was perfect as he was made. And in human terms... He then went on to make the worst decision in the history of the world. We cannot understand it. How on earth would he do that? And as I've said, we've got to remember that he's not human. He's a different being. He's a fallen angel. Genesis 1, said, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Now, God did not create angels in His image. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that He did. Only man. God never became an angel, but He did become a man. There's a big difference. The relationship between man and God is totally different between the relationship between God and angels. And we need to understand that. Hebrews 2 verse 8 says of Jesus, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. This is actually a quote from Psalm 8. And wasn't that amazing? Look, I want to tell you something. I don't help Margaret prepare for the meeting. And she brought Psalm 8 to the start of this meeting tonight. Now to one thing, I feel blessed. I feel encouraged. That what I'm bringing is coming from God. Because we've got this verse from Hebrews 2.8 and it's a direct quote from Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 was read out at the start of the meeting tonight. Now I don't believe in coincidences. If I did, I'd win the lottery. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But I don't. I believe in God's guidance and He doesn't tell me lottery numbers. So (laughs) I'm not going to win it. Hallelujah. I'm not even going to play it. Praise God. So, don't sell me tickets at the end of the meeting. Hallelujah. Now, this is incredible. Because God, even though we are created lower than angels, yet there is a special relationship set apart solely for you and me, which angels do not have. Job says, I've been reading the book of Job this week. I want to tell you, if you really want to lift, read about Job. If you you think you're in a bad way, you should read about Job. Because there is no one who's ever been in a worse state other than Jesus on the cross. There's no one who's ever been in a worse state than Job. It was a miserable life. He really had it bad. He lost everything and sat on a a heap of ashes. I mean, I could have found somewhere better to sit. But he sat on a pile of ashes and, and, and was covered in boils. Incredible. And every day he used to get something and a piece of rock and flint and scrape his boils off. I talk about, I, I mean, Bangkok Phuket Hospital is never is never going to look the same again. You've re- you got to go to hospital, you read the book of Job and you'll be glad you're there. You could be sat on a pile of dust with a flint to scrape your boils off. Isn't that fantastic? Right. We have refreshments after the meeting tonight. I just want to... Put those two thoughts together. Hallelujah. Now, the relationship between God and man is one that is not shared by any other being. It was what Job says. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? That is an incredible thing that God's eyes are upon us all the time. There isn't a second where God is not watching over us. And you might think you're having a bad day, but God might think, let's see what they do with it. Let's see whether they're going to love me through this. Let's see what the extent of their love for me is. God is testing us. An incredible thing is that no matter how bad it gets, if you really love God, you can respond the way Job responded. And he says, even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What an incredible thing that is. And it's worth reading, Job, just to read just a couple of, some. there's a couple of, oh, absolutely four or five, really fantastic verses in Job. It's worth reading all the suffering, all the pain, all the complaining of his friends, and everything that it happens, just to catch the essence of four or five verses that are contained in the book of Job. Because it is absolutely incredible. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You think you've had a bad day? Hallelujah. God is still God. God is still God. And when we, when we see the horror of things in the world today, we can be mixed up in them. Nothing more horrific for me than, than, than the first week after the tsunami and being involved in the cleanup of that. And seeing flesh fall off bones, carrying people and their leg drops off. I mean, you cannot imagine that. It's just horrific. And day after day after day, meeting the same thing. And you think, is this going to end? Yet, another thing that Job says I know that my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. God is there. God is there in the midst of our trouble. There's a special relationship between God and man that the angels can only wonder at. They cannot experience themselves. They don't have it. Even though we're less powerful than the angels, one day we will rule over them. Isn't that an incredible thing? This is God's plan for you and me. Now, Satan may know what it's like to sin, but he does not understand the love relationship that is birthed by the cross. He doesn't understand salvation. He cannot understand this because it's not available to him. It's available to you and me. So if we personify Satan, if we make him into a person, like a human person, it would be Logical then for us to think that when we're in heaven, we might act like he did. And I've been asked about this this week. What, you know, What when we're in heaven worshipping God, what if we get proud? What if we rebel? What if we fall? I want to tell you there is a difference There is a difference which is fundamental and you want to put it into your hearts and you want to rejoice with God because there is a difference that God has put in you and me. He's put into the whole of creation, the relationship between God and man. The difference is we are family. Satan isn't. We are family. We are in the family of God. Sons and daughters of the living God. There is something special about family. Now I want to tell you, I don't have an easy time with my sister. I've got one sister, I haven't got any brothers, I've got one older sister and she gives me a hard time. She gives me a hard time because I'm a Christian and I live 6,000 miles away. Right? She doesn't like the fact that I've become a Christian. Well, she started to change. It took the world's worst disaster to do it, but then, you know, my sister is someone who's strong-minded and, and it needs a tsunami to move her. Praise the Lord. If he can move a gunboat two kilometers, he can move my sister in what she thinks. Hallelujah. And so relationships are a lot better. For a long time, the relationship between me and my sister was very bad. She would, she would go into the street. I love her to bits, you know, so she, please don't tell her I'm telling her all this. Right. Uh, but she would, she would even display her displeasure with me at full volume in the middle of the street. So that everybody knew what a nasty bloke I was. Which, which was great. And I'd, I'd just stand there and take it and say, well, love you, see you next week. Kind of thing. Which is wonderful. But you know, if anything happened to her, I'd go back immediately. I'd fly 6,000 miles tomorrow if she was in desperate need. Why? Why? Because she's my sister. She's my sister. Anyone else had said the things that she said to me, forget it. (laughs) You know? Okay, you think that way about me, maybe we're not friends. Right? But you can't say that because there's a tie of blood. Right? Now, Praise God, we're not going to argue with him, hopefully, too much. But when you come into the kingdom of God, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life, there is a tie, a blood tie. The blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And we come into his family. Satan does not know that. And Satan isn't family. Hallelujah. But we are. You see, there's a tie. And you're not going to do the same as Satan did. You're not going to do that in heaven. You might do it on earth, praise the Lord, because we're still proving and working out our salvation. Hallelujah. But when we get to heaven, it says we shall be like Him. You're not going to turn on Him if you're like Him. You're in blood relationship with Him because you know, and you know deep down, you know, you would not be there but for Jesus. You can't betray that. So don't worry about that. Just praise God. You're human and not an angel. We need revelation on this. To recognize the fact that we're family. Bought with a price. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And if you can recognize that you're a member of the family of God and you can can cherish the fact that Jesus paid the price for you on the cross so that He could be your brother, so that God could be your Father. If you can understand that and you can get revelation on that in your spirit, you will think totally differently about your own purpose in the kingdom of God. You will change, guaranteed. Because nothing will be too much for you to do for Jesus. But... We're looking at nation transformation. And so it's important for us to actually understand what the nature of Satan's sin was. If Satan has targeted nations to destroy them, if one of his title is the destroyer of nations, another title is given in Ezekiel is the trampler of cities. Praise God, our vision is to see my city become God's city. And this is counteracting what Satan is doing. You see, God's got a plan for the earth. And Satan knows what it is. He's not stupid. He's a lot cleverer than you or I are. Praise God that we don't have to depend on our wisdom to beat him, but we can have God's wisdom to beat him. That's why it's important for us to understand what God's will is and to follow God with all our heart, mind and soul because God actually does know what he's doing. So what was Satan's sin? Why did he turn his back on God? Again, we need to look at the book of Ezekiel. Now, a lot of Bible scholars simply say that Satan's sin was pride. And although that is true, it's not actually the cause. It's not actually the cause of his his sin. And this is an incredible uh, uh, verse in Ezekiel 28. Verse 14 says... You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among uh, fiery stones. In verse 13, we read that Satan walked in the garden of Eden. And he had lots of precious stones and gold. And This is the picture of an angel with an important position before God. So what did Satan do to cause sin to come into his life? Now, this is my interpretation. I have to say that because it's not clear from Scripture. And so you can disagree with me if you like, and we won't fight, okay? That's alright. It's no problem. But I'm suggesting to you an interpretation... Of what happened. Because when did Satan fall? When did the fall occur? Now when he was walking in the Garden of Eden. He had lots of precious stones. It doesn't seem to me. To be uh, 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 explaining. About. uh, uh, Or giving a description about. A person who had sinned yet. Because after that it says. You're an anointed cherub. I ordained you. You're on the Holy Mount of God. You walked among fiery stones. So if it's going in any kind of chronological order, it puts Eden before that. So even in the Garden of Eden, and maybe we need to just adjust the way we think about a few things, because although it takes us a couple of minutes, maybe, to read about the Garden of Eden, yet it was a a timeline longer than a couple of minutes. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were there before Eve was tempted by Satan. We don't know. It could have been many, many years. It could have been hundreds of years because they had not yet sinned, so death wasn't in the world. We don't know how long they were there. But here's just a little thing for you to think about. Before the fall, Adam was given the responsibility to name all the animals. How long do you think that took? There are millions of them. And we're talking species. Right? All the different kinds of animals. And Adam was responsible to name them all. How long did that take? When we started the church library upstairs, we had to classify the books. And we had about a hundred books. It took about five weeks. Incredible. Somebody was working on it from nine to five for five weeks to do it. Guaranteed she couldn't read English, but never mind. And half the books were in English. But <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you see what I'm saying? How long did that take? Okay, Adam was probably a bit more perfect than me, but by the time I'd done a thousand, I wouldn't be able to remember whether I'd used the name or not. When I got to the next one, I've already called that one. I've already called something else a zebra. So what can we call that? I don't know. So you know, I mean, it must have taken ages. So we must we've got to understand that what may, maybe takes us a couple of seconds to read, could be a long time. In actual actual terms. So what was going on in the Garden of Eden? Because we know that Adam and Eve were in there. And we know that Satan walked there. And we know that God was there. And we know that Satan was there. As a good angel. And he was also there as the serpent. So my mind starts to think a bit and a lot of prayer goes up. God, give me wisdom on this. What is happening? And, you know, I've got to say, I'll say it again, that this is what I think. Okay? This is not scripture. Think about it yourselves. Right? That's good. I can depend on Nick to come and challenge me with something. I know that. And that's great because if you've got a better idea, then that's wonderful. I want to hear it. And maybe some of the others, you know, you you think about it. But this seems logical to me. That there was something, there was some time span where Satan actually was in the Garden of Eden before he fell. Let's get to the crunch verse. Ezekiel 28, verses 15 and verse 16. It says, you were blameless in your ways. It's talking about Satan. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Oh, verse 16. Through the widespread trade, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. The cause of Satan's demise was trade. Isn't that incredible? Buying and selling goods. Buying and selling goods. He was doing business. Now, this is just an amazing thing. Now, you can say what you like about my interpretation, but Ezekiel 28 verse 16 is there. It says, "...through your widespread trade..." You were filled with violence and you sinned. Trade caused him to be violent and to sin. What was going on? Well, who was he doing business with, first of all? Well, probably with other angels. Because in the New Testament, we read that there are other angels that we fight against, that are arraigned against us. Right? Ephesians 6 tells us that there are demons, there are principalities, there are powers. So it's not just Satan that fell from heaven, or fell from grace, let's say. Not just Satan. And you know, the earth was made, and the angels used to walk on the earth. There are many verses in the Bible that describe angels walking on the earth. So the earth was open for angels to actually come and walk around and do things. So I want to suggest that all the angels that engaged in this trade scheme, this little scam that Satan had put together, they were the ones that were cast out of heaven. Revelation suggests, and I can only say suggests, this is another thing, right? Like like the three wise men, right? Because it suggests that there's three because there were three presents. But it doesn't actually say there were three wise men. It says there were three presents. There could have been 20 wise men with three presents, right? They might have all put together, let's chip in and buy Jesus a birthday present, right? So that's what happens, you know? It might have been the cell groups, coming together whatever we don't know and in the same way revelation suggests that it's a third of the angels because it says about uh, uh, the dragon with his tail pulling a third of the stars out of the sky right so that's suggestive most a lot of scholars say that this is the number of angels that fell but the bible does not state this categorically it does not say that one in every three angels became a demon. It doesn't say that. So, you've got to be clear on your theology. When we're looking at the biblical basis for what we get, where we take in the church, we need to be very clear. Because we don't want to go anywhere in error. Amen? So, the world was certainly a place where angels could move about freely. Genesis 19 has two angels eating and drinking in Lot's house in Sodom. They have duties before God and many of them will be caring for the world and for the people. It seems as though Satan had set himself up in some kind of business and was making a good profit. He he was someone who was used to gold and jewels and maybe he just wanted more. And he saw a way in which the wealth of the world could be given could make him more wealthy and more profitable now i am not saying there's anything evil about trade i'm not saying there's anything evil about trade but the bible says that trade was the cause of satan's demise so what was wrong simply this when the, god made the heavens and the earth and he made the garden of eden and he filled it with all good things god made provision for all the people on earth for adam and eve and all the angels and everybody god made provision and it was free it was a system of grace god's riches are available to everyone Freely. And Satan turned that system of grace into a system of trade. He corrupted what God had meant to be given freely to everyone. That was what was wrong. Ed Salvoso in his book Transformation says Satan had inserted a trade into a system that was meant to operate on grace. Now it's incredible, but, but Satan's still doing this, you know. He's still influencing people. Now, a similar thing, to put it into, into, into terms we can understand for now, there's a similar thing happening right now in Zors country of Burma. And this could help us to understand just what Satan did was wrong. Because by the time I've told you this, I guarantee you'll you, you be thinking... How dare they? This is what is happening today. The United Nations have taken supplies to Burma. In fact, this number of supplies is being limited. There are two shiploads of supplies on Phuket Dock that can't get in. Supplies, food supplies, waiting to go to the people in Burma who are suffering and they sat in Phuket. When the supplies get to Burma, right now, Zora and I have been in contact with what's going on, so this is actually what's happening. You won't see this on the news. What you see on the news is things are going slow, not as fast as we could hope. This is what is happening. This is actually the truth. the goods are going across the border and they're going through Burmese customs. When they get into Burmese customs, they're being taken by the, the Burmese army and they're being sold to the people who are suffering for money. They're being sold. Is that wrong? Does that make you annoyed? The world is giving food And supplies free to these people. And someone's coming in and exploiting those people by taking the food and selling it to them for profit. That's what Satan was doing in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that incredible? And that's what he still influences people to do today. God had made the earth And you know what Genesis says about everything that God made? It was good. It was really good. God does something, it's good. It was full of good things to eat, the best food, the best things to eat and enjoy. And it was all free. Isn't that incredible? All free. That's what grace means. God freely giving good things to us. We don't deserve it. But God gives it. Hallelujah. However, Satan started a system of trade and started to sell, buy and sell things to make a profit that God had given to everybody for nothing. Now we can see what caused Satan to sin. And this is incredible, because if you think about the second paradigm in nation transformation, it's the marketplace, which is the heart of the nation, has been redeemed, and now it needs to be reclaimed. If Satan corrupted trade, which in itself is not wrong, but it cannot operate under a system of grace, where grace is, right, you cannot, you cannot... Buy and sell it. That's why Jesus says to us, freely you have received, freely give. You cannot receive from God and then expect people to pay for what you've got from Him. Trade is not acceptable where grace is. Trade is acceptable where there is no grace. And so, when Jesus died on the cross, and He died not just to save you and me, I believe God, Jesus died on the cross as the answer to the corruption of the whole world. You see, I don't want to limit God at all. I don't want to limit God to just, you know, um, one particular thing that suits the way I think about Him but God is always bigger than me. No matter how great a picture I have of him, he's bigger than that. Picture the biggest God you could picture, and he's bigger than that. Because he's not limited by our human understanding and reasoning. And I believe when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just to open up a means by which we could be saved, but God wants to save everything that he created. Hallelujah. Praise God. God loves nations. God loves nations. You know the nations are mentioned in the book of Revelation? That they will come and worship God. The nations will come before Him. Hallelujah. And that's why it's so important that we understand that nation transformation is something ordained by God. It's something in His plan. Satan attacks that because Satan has read the Bible just like you and I do. You know, when, when Jesus was tempted, he was tempted by the devil who used, what? Scripture. He used it wrongly and out of place, out of context. Jesus put him right on that. But Satan knows the Bible better than you or I. You just can't relate to it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Jesus, when it's so when the Bible says that Jesus loves me, I can relate more to that than Satan can, if he knows every bi- verse in the Bible backwards, he can't relate to it. But he is clever, and he does see what God's plan is. However, he is limited; God is limitless. And if we can see that little old me and the few people I know can yet still have an influence to transform this nation or whatever nation you're from if you're visiting that we can have an influence that we can do our part to change things because even though You might not think that you have an influence, yet the Word of God says that we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. That's the truth. And you might just think that you're doing a little bit every day and that's not really making much difference. Well, I tell you, it is. It is. And if we broaden our, our, our mind to think that, yeah, God has not just called me to to witness to my neighbour and lead my neighbour to Jesus, but he's actually called me to be part of nation transformation, to win this nation for Jesus. I want to tell you that God can do incredible things through you and through me. Next week we're going to look at the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And that is an incredible transformation passage. An incredible transformation passage. We often read it and we think about saving individual people. But actually the verse talks about making disciples of nations. Hallelujah. And I've read this verse now in... Over 30 different versions I can't remember the exact number. I've looked at it in over 30 different versions. I've looked at it in the Greek. And it doesn't really say that we're making disciples of the people in the nations. It says we're making disciples of nations. nations. That's incredible. The Greek word is ethnos, people groups. I'm preaching next week's message, but never no mind. But if we can get hold of this, it will bring revelation to us, I'm sure, and help us to see that God is, going, is, is wanting to do some incredible, incredible things. Not just incredible, but incredible, incredible things. Thailand has this uh, motto for luring people to its beautiful beaches. It says, amazing Thailand. You know what's going to be amazing in Thailand? Nation transformation. Amen? See, in this city change for Jesus. My city becoming God's city. We're going to see God move. And we need to understand that God has called us to make a difference. However insignificant we may feel. Yet our prayers, what we do, what we say, how we think is going to make a difference. Let's pray together. Father we thank you for your word and we pray Lord God that you would help us to understand what you're wanting to do pray that the word that we've received tonight would, would, would really speak to us We may have a slightly different interpretation. We may have different ideas. But Lord, we can stand on the verses from the Bible that we've received tonight. We can look at them. We can say, Lord, we know that you have a heart for the nations. We know that you love the people. And we recognize, Lord God, that you have called us to serve you and to see the kingdom of God established in this nation of Thailand where we are. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you that you regard us with loving affection. That even though we're created lower than the angels, yet, Lord, you have a special regard for us that is just... Something the angels cannot understand. We thank you that we, each of us, are so special to you that you became a man yourself and died on the cross so that we could have the victory over sin. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name that we would really know and understand in our hearts and lives that you love us with an everlasting love and that you have destined that we would spend eternity with you. And so, Father, right now, I just want to pray for anyone who needs the assurance of knowing that God loves them That your sins are forgiven if you have faith in Jesus Christ. And that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you belong to Jesus. And you have a purpose. So if there's anyone here right now and you just need to know that you are special in God's sight, you need to know that God really does love you. You want assurance that God wants His favour to be upon you because you are His child and He cares for you and He will uphold you. He will take you through any difficult situation. And lead you out the other side. Better because you walked through that problem with Jesus. I want to tell you. God loves you. And if I can pray for you right now. That that assurance would come to you. And while we're in this attitude of prayer. No one else is looking around. There's only me. And I'm only here to help you. If I can pray for you, that you want the love of God to touch your heart, you just raise your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? When I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Anyone else? You want the love of God to touch your heart, you just raise your hand. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, I pray for our friends who've raised their hands tonight. Pray in Jesus' name that they would know right now that Jesus Christ died for them. There was no one else He would die for them because His love is so great. His love is so great. There was nothing that was going to stop Jesus. from building a bridge between God and you so that you could come with total assurance before God and call Him Father and know that He loves you despite things you've done despite the way you feel despite the difficulties that you've had in your life, God loves you. And He wants to strengthen you. And He wants His love to be real in your life. Not just something you hear about in church. Not just something you read about in the Bible. But something you carry with you every day. doesn't matter what your background is. What matters is that your heart is open to Jesus. And that he comes into your heart. You willingly accept him. And you ask him to be your best friend. To be the Lord of your life. To be the one who will walk with you every moment of every day. You see, Jesus watches you, but he wants to walk with you. That is his desire. To take your hand in his and walk with you in the midst of everything that you face on a daily basis. Your ever-present help in time of trouble. Your comforter. Your first love. That's what Jesus wants to be. He's closer than a brother. He is your saviour. He's your king. He's Jesus. Lord God, just bless all those. Or everyone here. Those who've raised their hands and those who haven't. Lord God, we need a sense of your presence. Every, every single day so that we know that we're never alone but always with you. Let the angels stand in wonder as they look upon this moment because this moment is about family. God, Abba, Father and us his children and Jesus our brother This is one family that Satan cannot destroy. It is the family of God. And as we stand together, in the love of Christ, we can bring transformation to this nation. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any of you uh, got questions or more thoughts or uh, you want to tear up my theology and throw it in the fire, then please come and see me and I'll help you to do it. Hallelujah. We have refreshments available. God bless you. See you next week.